Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. I feel very lucky that on this episode, I went to Georgia Tech in Atlanta, Georgia, and sat down with Dr. Ayana Howard. She has, her accolades are so long. In 2003, she was named to the MIT Technology Review as one of the top 100 innovators in the world under the age of 35. She was featured in Time Magazine's Rise of the Machine article in 2004. In 2008, she received worldwide attention for her snow moat robots designed to study the impact of global warming on the Antarctic ice shelves. In 2013, she founded Zyrobotics, which has released their first suite of therapy and educational products for children with special needs. Um, She's worked at NASA. I mean, let's see here. Over 20 years of research and development experience covering a number of projects supported by National Science Foundation, Procter & Gamble, NASA, ExxonMobil, Intel. It just goes on and on and on. Educator, researcher, innovator, her her academic career is incredible. Um, her contributions to robotics in the areas of artificial intelligence, they're bar none. So I was very excited, to say the least, to sit down and talk with her. And I'm not going to lie, fangirled a bit. Um, I have a quote here. She said, I believe that every engineer has a responsibility to make the world a better place. We are gifted with an amazing power to take people's wishes and make them a reality. She was really a delightful person to talk to, and it was very sweet of her to give me her time, considering how incredibly busy she is um, teaching and with all of the stuff she does. I mean, I was really excited about this conversation. I learned a lot. AI, artificial intelligence, has always been um, something that fascinates me, and especially where it's going. And I don't know if you've seen any of the videos out lately that Boston Robotics with the with the dog, the dog robot that's really blowing people's minds. And there's all sorts of stuff out there. I'm gonna put uh, videos of some things on the links page for you to check out, and uh, some of the stuff we talk about, of course. And speaking of the links page. Uh, it's a great way to help support Hey Human if you hear about something on the show and, you know, I try and keep everything on the links page and you can click on the link and it'll take you to Amazon. You can buy a book that we talk about or, or a journal or a movie or whatever it is. It helps support Hey Human every time you go through Amazon through either the links page or the portal at the top of heyhumanpodcast.com's website. So social media, you know how to find me at this point. Um, hey Human Podcast, and then uh, my Twitter is Susan Ruthism, so it's a little bit different. Thanks for listening, as always. Rate and review on iTunes, Hey Human. It would be great if you did that. And I'm excited for this conversation and for you to hear it. So here we go. Hello, Dr. Ayana Howard. Thanks for being on Hey Human. Oh, I'm. Thanks for the invite. I'm really excited about this. I'm super excited. Um, and thank you for saying yes. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So here I am at Georgia Tech, which is exciting in its own right. I was wandering around and peeking in windows and stuff. Oh, Nobody arrested me, which is good. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, I was walking around with a backpack. I thought, I hope it's okay that I'm peeking around at everything, but there's so much to see. It it's, is. I mean, the students look in too. Yeah. That's really exciting. Actually, I was walking around outside and to see the students, and this is going to sound corny, but... 
they all look so deep in thought and excited and they're all smiling and you know it's just it's cool to see because it's an exciting place i think one of the nice things about georgia tech is that um you come to georgia tech because of the fact that it's one of the best engineering schools but because we have these other fields we have really good science and liberal arts and business that the students really um, expand their knowledge base because of that because of that diversity of coming from this different mindset, but still, everyone's a techie. Yeah, and your background is in engineering. My, my background is in engineering. Yeah, um, and you went to Brown? I went to Brown University, uh, and the reason was because I didn't know what kind of engineer I wanted to be. Mm. Uh, I wanted to do robotics, I knew yeah. that. So yeah. I wanted to do robotics. I didn't know what that meant, or what you had to be, or do, or have a career in. And yeah. so I did engineering, because Brown, allows you to explore all the different types of engineering. Okay. So all students took basically the same courses yeah. the first two years, and then you specialize. So it allowed me to kind of figure out while I was there what I wanted to be. And so you would call me a computer engineer uh, from that. Okay. But again, it was I took the same courses as mechanical engineers and material science uh, my first two years, so. And your passion is robotics and then also artificial intelligence. Yeah, robotics and AI. Uh, No, well, so what I was interested in why robotics um, was the fact that you can create these creatures that are intelligent um, and they can function in ways to help people that um, is amazing. In order to do that, they they have to have, so that's where the AI comes from. How do you enable a robot to think and have a brain? Yeah. It's the algorithms, and that's where the AI comes from. And human beings, of course, we operate off of algorithms as well. We operate off of algorithms um, and other things that we have yet to understand. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, We were talking before I put on the the, um, tape that... I was, I've been reading this, well, listen reading, you know, how the Audible, <laughs> God bless Audible. And uh, right now we're, we're in a part in the book where it's, it's uh, talking about the mind versus the brain. Okay. And it's fascinating because no, mat- no matter what science discovers, they still can't prove that we're all not just some simulation that's some kid in the year you know, 2,200 and something and all is playing is it in his room. Of, yeah, so I have... It really hurts my head. <laughs> well, you know, but what's also fascinating, like some people um, I'll get, like with robotics, they'll say, well, you know, robots can never be like real. They can never really have emotions. You know, they're not really human. And I'm, I was like, you know what? We don't even know how to define humanity. Like if you look at the definition of like, you know, consciousness and humanity, like right. you look at it, I'm like, hey, guess what? My robots, they kind of fit into that definition. Yeah. Yeah, we don't understand ourselves. Well, uh, was it New Zealand? They declared animals to be sentient beings, which... With threw, rights. Right, yeah. with rights, which throws a wrench in all the people who said, oh, well, does that mean that they also have a soul? Because I've seen plenty of YouTube videos of the animals acting as if they do. So, yeah, we don't Saving know. each other, saving humans, saving, you know, so having an, a concept of life and what life means and of course i always go to the bonobo uh monkeys who oh they make love not war (laughs) which is they're so are they more evolved than we are because instead of pulling out their guns they pull out their bits right and they (laughs) right they're much more collaborative (laughs) they probably throw really good parties (laughs) so okay i want to i have so many questions okay Um, but let's start at the beginning you're a young girl and you're excited about robots why how did that inspire you yeah 
you know, especially for girls. Girls aren't supposed to be into science. You know what I mean? There's that whole Yeah, and I think even now there's some of that. Um, So back then I was... Middle school. So this is actually middle school. So I'll take you back. And you're a not that of years. old, obviously. Oh no no no! I'm I'll be 29 forever. Yeah, amen. <laughs> um, so uh, middle school, you know, 12, 13 years old. Um, I was always into science fiction. I mean, mm-hmm. that was always the case. Anything science fiction, robotics, superheroes. I was there. Yeah. Um, and what happened was I saw one show called The Bionic Woman. And I was just fascinated, right? And so again, I had seen the Bionic Man and you know Star Trek and Star Wars, yeah. and you know those didn't fascinate me as much. I mean, I kept watching them, but the Bionic Woman, for some reason, when I saw that, I was like, I want to do that. It was like the first time I could see myself doing something. Whereas the other ones, I was being entertained. Now I'm curious, did you want to do it because you wanted to be a Bionic Woman, or because you just thought the whole robotics part of it was? I thought the whole robot. Yeah, I didn't want to be the Bionic Woman. Yeah. So that was not. Okay. I, I didn't have those grandiose ideas mm-hmm. of saving the world mm-hmm. at sure. the time. Um, well, I, I didn't necessarily mean that. I meant like um, the uh, just the bits and pieces that were. No, I wanted to build the Bionic Woman. You wanted woman. to build. I her. wanted to yeah. build it, and yeah. I I just thought it was so cool. Yeah. Um and. At the time, though, I didn't want to be an engineer because I don't know if you remember the movie, but like all the cool people were like the doctors and they had some engineers, but they were like the pocket protecting, yeah. you know, in the lab coats. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's definitely Before not me. Before it was cool to be Before smart. it was cool. Right, right. Yeah. But it was the doctors and they were like, you know, um, and then the general. So that's what I thought I wanted to do. I want, thought I wanted to go to med school. Yeah. So I was going to go to med school and build a bionic woman. So that was my goal in life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, a good goal, though, for a kid. It, that was it. it I mean, what, what, what does that mean? Yeah. It just, yeah. Um, Did your parents think you were crazy or were they excited? that? No, they were always encouraging. So even early on, um, even when we were getting birthday gifts and, and gifts for the holidays, yeah. you know, it was, you know, what are you interested in? So I would get a Radio Shack, you know, yeah. kit and a Rector set, but then I would get my, my little Sunshine Family yeah. Barbie dolls. Right. Right. So yeah. it was just, it, it wasn't. So I didn't grow up in a household where there was a role for a girl or a role for a boy. It was like, oh, what do you want to do? That's great. You want to build. Your parents were ahead of their time. Yeah, they they were they were very open. Uh, my dad's an engineer, so uh-huh. I think that has to do something of That's it. That's good. Um, and so, yeah, so I didn't have those concepts of I couldn't do it uh, until much later. But at the time, I didn't think it was what, something I could do. Why later did you have that feeling that you couldn't? Um, so later on, what happens is that you start relying on people's others, on having, you start hearing other people's opinions, oh, right? Yeah. So as sure. a kid, you just like do what you want to do, and your parents are like the most important thing in the world. Yeah. But then when you start hanging around with other kids yeah. that are your friends, you think, yeah. um, and so you start listening. And so it's just a matter of growing up in a society that says, girls can't do that. And right. I was like, oh. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to be doing this. And black woman. It definitely also, definitely I mean, didn't didn't have that as a role model. Yeah. And so, you know, when you when you hear people saying, you know, why are you here? This isn't what you're supposed Did to you be doing. Did you experience that a lot? You you experience it in, in different ways. Yeah. I didn't experience it from my I would say my colleagues my fellow students you know because mm-hmm. we were all struggling together sure <laughs> right? it's like oh my gosh we have a test like so it wasn't yeah. like you know my my mates it was usually older folks yeah. uh you know like oh you know are you supposed to be here and and that right. kind of thing very um 
so so I think a lot of times, even today, people don't realize that some of the things about they call it microaggression. Like they have a word now called right. microaggression. They have a word for everything. Right, right. Like they, back then, they didn't have that word. Yeah. But really, what it is is like you know, you I always say being killed by a thousand paper cuts. Like one paper right. cut. Yeah. It bothers a, you. It doesn't that, hurt. That's a great expression. But yeah, and so that's really what this whole kind of microaggressions are is like, you know, you have the one, but then you have another and you have another and eventually, you know, it becomes something that's real. Yeah. Um, the girl against Goliath. The, there it is. Yeah. There it is. Yeah. Uh, so going through that, um, the thing I keep saying, the thing that saved me was because I had such a good foundation. Yeah. And Thank God for your parents. I know. It was just like, and I was so, I was confident, you know, it was like, I, I, I was smart, right? Yeah. So I know I can do this, um, despite whatever anyone else said. Did you have encouraging teachers too? Um, in, in high school, I had very encouraging teachers. That's good. Um, I didn't go right around to, ninth grade, right? That's when, or seventh to ninth grade. That's when girls start feeling inadequate. I had very, in the very encouraging uh, teachers um, in middle school, particularly. I was advanced in math, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, they actually made an exception, and I was in the math class. But because I was two grades ahead, she was like, "Okay, we're going to put you in the back, and we're going to give you the books, and I'm just going to, you know." But I had to see basically self-teach myself Whoa. but it was like accepted right it yeah. wasn't a no you can't do this this right, is right. not this is which impossible. does happen to some kids right they're they're accelerators like well no we don't have that to offer mm-hmm. sorry mm-hmm. just have to you know be bored in this class um mm-hmm. and so they and again that's because the teachers were like yeah we, we can figure this out you know it doesn't make sense for her to repeat this math class if she's already taken it you, um, you bring up a good point too, the boredom thing because i think when when we were little right Boredom was our best friend. My mom used to always say, only a bore is bored. And then she'd open the front door. You know, right. My parents would be like, see you later, alligator. And explore. And go explore be your curious. mind and the world at large. And um, do you think, and this is all conjecture, of course, but had you been brought up now, you know, with the placation of all of our devices and the televisions and the serials that we can, you know, devour and the, you know, staying up all night to, you know, all that stuff right. that, that, is our opioid for the brain, right? Of the digital opioid. Mm-hmm. Do you think you would have? Do you think you still would have persevered? Um, or do you think? Uh, so I think, like nowadays, I think there's more exposure though, mm. right? So back then, mm-hmm. there there wasn't the exposure, so mm-hmm. it wouldn't be that you could, you know, log on and watch your Disney and you saw an engineer. Right? right that was a girl like that didn't happen right you know it was just like the bionic woman that was like the first time and she wasn't an engineer right, right. so um i think now there's a lot more opportunities to be exposed because of good these point. digital interfaces yeah, really um i think one of the issues now though is that it's easier to become so you can see people that may look like you that are doing things that you are interested in uh, but the world is still you still have naysayers and so I think it's yeah. a little bit harder to cut those off mm-hmm. because now it's maybe not the one person now as I log in and now I'm I'm reading it and I'm seeing it and mm-hmm. my feed is telling me maybe negative things and maybe I get positive and so mm-hmm. it's it's a little harder to try to filter out mm-hmm. so it's it's double-edged sword. it's a double-edged sword yeah. right it's yeah. a double-edged sword yeah. um, and so I don't yeah, and we don't know, like, you know, in 20 years, are we, is it going to be a better thing or? Who knows? We don't know yet. Yeah. We don't know. 
we've got some humanity to catching up. Yes, yes, we do, we do. All right, so you're in college. You're realizing that you're picking out your engineering thing. And Mm -hmm. then where did the... Where did the I so before this episode will air, I'll have a little preamble with your very long list of accomplishments and awards and the fact that Time thinks you are as kick ass as kick ass can be. Time magazine, you know, like you are you're you're the top dog. <laughs> which is awesome. So where did you at one point did you say, Okay, this is my this is my journey now? This is so it happened in um undergrad. Okay. I after my freshman year, I had my first internship at NASA. Oh, cool. Uh, and so, again, like, then, I mean, it's like, people are like, oh, that's amazing. But so I grew up in Pasadena, okay. and NASA, JPL, mm-hmm. was, like, right there. Mm-hmm. So the engineers would come, and they would do our science fair. So that, again, just exposed, like, yeah, of course, that's, like, a job. Like, anyone can work at NASA, right? I right. didn't realize that that's not really the case, yeah. but... At the time, it was Only like the two people that are two grades ahead in math get to be. <laughs> well, I just it was just, it just made logical sense. I you know I wanted to come back home. You know NASA did robotics. Yeah, that just makes makes sense, right? Yeah. Um, so I just loved it. I mean, when you were there, um, they didn't treat you like you were a student. They taught. I mean, they treated you like you know you were a real employee. Right, and so you had jobs and responsibilities, and that's the um, way to do it. I think it was. It wasn't. It wasn't an expectation of you know, oh, we have to babysit you. It was like, oh, we have something for you to do. Let's see how well you do, and it was up to you to either fail or succeed. Right, and most Um, people, when given that opportunity, rise to the occasion. See, I think so. I think so. Um, So I love that. My first um, summer there, I was, which is so funny. It was not a robotics project. It was a computer science project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to, uh, so I had no, well, okay, I'm going to date myself. Mm-hmm. I had learned Pascal because mm-hmm. that was what we were learning in school. Was that one of the first languages or something? Oh, Pascal was not the first, but it was oh. a very common one. Okay. Um, yeah, like no one knows Pascal. What is that? Yeah, so it was okay. one of the He's Fortran. a math guy. I know that. <laughs> math, Fortran, Pascal. Um, there was a bunch of lists. There was a bunch of languages. Okay. Um, and I had learned Pascal. And um, they were trying to convert from Fortran, another old language, mm-hmm. to Pascal because Pascal was like, it was like the C of, you know, it was like C sharp or C plus plus or Java today. I've heard of the C plus plus. Yeah, so that's a that's a new new okay. one. Pascal was like the new programming okay. language of the time. Yeah. And so they want to convert it from an older programming language to a newer one. Um, so my first job was to not only convert the code, but then create a user interface for the scientists to mm. use data for the telescope. So that was mm. the thing. The telescope, the scientists wanted to grab the data. How do they basically access this in a really easy format instead of trying to do programming? So that's what I was doing. That's so, right. It's not just somebody pointing the telescope. It's math. It's ma- oh, it's math that tells like everything. where the telescope should yeah. point and like what resolution of the data and, and all of that is all math. Um, and back then, you would actually have to like write Compute out. All, it yeah, yourself. it wow. was. It was. You had the like the big servers and the systems to do that. But if you wanted to do some like really coarse calculations, I mean, you would just start driving and driving and driving. Um, and Fortran was designed to help a little with that, so you didn't have to drive everything. Yeah. Uh, but there was no interface, right? So. So crazy. So, yeah. So that was that was. Um, but that was also how I started also realizing that I was good at computer science. Mm. So I was majoring in engineering, mm-hmm. 
but computer science allowed me to do what's called the algorithms, right? And I really liked that. It was basically taking math, which I'd always loved, and putting it into a format that other people could understand. And that was just like, I, I liked that. It was like this power that you had. Um, and so I started becoming a hybrid. Engineering by, I would say, engineering by my educational training mm-hmm. and computer science by trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was I was starting to program. I was starting to do things, what they call hacking. But I was starting to, you know, create these, like, nice, beautiful programs when I was in my summer internship and then started to do research in robotics at Brown and was programming algorithms for robots to touch objects and explore. And so that's where I was like, this is it. Mm. I'm going to be doing this for like the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, and then I knew it was robotics, right? So do you remember be- the first robot you made? Um, the first, Well, the first robot I programmed was at Brown. It was a um, uh, manipulator, which is an arm robot. Uh-huh. Um, and what the faculty member wanted to do was he wanted to figure out how to create, now Now it's easy, but so what happened was when you take a, an arm with an end effector manipulator um, and you want to grab something, how do you know how to grab it? Where do you put your, your end effector to mm-hmm. pick it up? Mm-hmm. So what he wanted to do was take this arm and basically create a 3D model so it wasn't again there was no cat this didn't exist so his right. thing was can we create there were no printers there was there was no Nothing. not the 3d didn't we were like dot matrix printers but there was no 3d renderings yeah. and things like that um so what i had to do was program this robot to basically figure out how to touch the object without breaking it and then follow the contour of the object and create a set of data points that then later on when the object when the robot encountered it it knew what it had found so we'd have different objects you kind of map it out and think of it as someone who um in the dark so if you're in the dark and you're trying to find something what do you do you kind of reach i close my eyes you touch it right and yeah like, i close my eyes and then i and you feel so for my it. other senses take over right yeah and you feel, and yeah. you create yeah. a model, and you're like, oh, there's my glasses, or yeah. there's my phone, right, yeah. by touch. And your brain says, it's supposed to feel like this. Yeah, it's supposed to feel like it. this, or it's supposed to have this shape. Right. So that's what we were doing. Yeah. Uh, but in our, you know, crew 1991. See, that blows my mind. Think about 1991, right? And you're just really scratching the surface of a robotic arm that is probably clumsy and still not quite getting things right. <laughs> sure Maybe wasn't. breaking a few things here and there. And now we have robotic exoskeletons and we have nano things that go into the bloodstream and do yes and explore do, and do yes yes it's just, excuse me <laughs> no like i know we've come a long in long such a way short amount of time yeah, it's we have astronomical we have it is amazing and it's so nice to actually be here and be able to witness this evolution it's just it's it like one cool of the watching nicest the students in their own discoveries and, yeah like yeah. finding new things or new ways of doing things yeah. um, and pushing the state of the art Okay, so again, so many questions. All right, so you you founded a company that helps uh, people with physical needs match with, talk about that a bit. Okay, so um, I have a company, founded a company called Zyrobotics, um, and what we focus on is uh, accessible STEM education. Mm-hmm. So the focus is on how do we, again, STEM opportunities, it's, it's supposedly for everybody, there's access, right? Anybody can like buy a Lego kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the fact is, is that um, a lot of times, by the time kids get to the point where they want to do, say, robotics, they're either like it or they don't. 
right? Mm-hmm. So there's no middle ground. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do and what I, I noticed was that um, early on, kids are naturally curious. Mm-hmm. They want to explore. Mm-hmm. And that's the perfect scientist, right? What do mm-hmm. scientists do? They see something, they see a phenomenon, and mm-hmm. they say, why is this going on? Mm-hmm. And they figure it out, trial and error sometimes, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what if we can do that very early on for very young kids? Um, and how it ties into children with disabilities is that um, a lot of times, and I always say that a lot of kids think that they have a disability with respect to math and STEM, right? Mm-hmm. They're like, I'm not good at it. It's like, what? Explain what STEM at? is, because I don't oh, know that everybody knows what uh, that science is. Techni- science, technology, engineering, and math. Yes. Um, so STEM covers basically all the things that are engineering, computer science, science, math. Mm-hmm. Um, it's engineers, computer All scientists. All the pocket protector things. All the pocket protectors <laughs> that we would think about uh, in the past. Um, so that's what STEM is, so all of those subject matters. Pens don't leak anymore, right? <laughs> So you don't well, need those pocket protectors. Well, you don't use pens. <laughs> you don't use stylus pens anymore. protectors. Right, stylus protectors, and even then, you know, you use you know yeah. gestures and fingers. It's so so crazy. yeah, totally, totally different, totally different. But you have things like oh, then we have you have Levitneers that say you know this is my the one that I wear. oh yes says geek yes proud geek right yes. uh, so that's how you identify right um, yeah so no more pocket protector um, so yeah so what we want to do is make STEM learning accessible irrespective of a child's ability. Whether they have a classical disability, mm-hmm. um, giving them the opportunity to learn, or someone who maybe Perceived. just perceives that they may have a disability, yeah. you give them the ability to learn. Because from what I've read, um, there is a, a bias in schools, unfortunately, of female to male proportion with math. And there are those who say there isn't. I myself experienced it as a kid. Mm-hmm. So I remember loving math. And then, and then something... having a horrible, my seventh grade math teacher, she was so awful. And in that moment, it just... Like, I don't like this. I'm not good at it. No, yeah. I don't want to do this. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's interesting. And I think it does exist. I, the boys were treated differently than the girls in the math class, for sure. And maybe, you know, it's it's been a few years since I was a kid, but yeah, I'd but, like to think it isn't but they, as much they, like that. Unfortunately, and I think it's just... Um, sometimes people don't know or they don't realize that words have power mm-hmm. and even if you even the way that you say it mm-hmm. might be different mm-hmm. and with girls and boys um, and I say girls and boys because I'm talking about girl, you know like 11 12 mm-hmm. they're still boys and girls right yeah. so the boys gang up and the girls gang up yeah. and the boys will say you're not good at that not because they think it's because you're a girl sure. they're just like girls can't do anything I mean it's just the way they are right so it's not just coming from teachers it's also coming from fellow students right yeah right and then that could that you know the the death by a million paper cuts yeah. you know if the boys are saying you're not good at it and then the teacher's like, oh, well, maybe we should do something else. Yeah. You know, at some point you're like, oh, well, maybe I'm not that good. That's why mirroring is so important. Um, I, I just read Gina Davis Foundation. Didn't know that existed. Gina Davis being the, the actress. Yes. Um, who's also a member of Mensa, apparently. But she, her foundation researched all these different films to find out how many times a female was represented as a scientist. And it was <laughs> grossly lacking in comparison to how many men and you know we can say oh big deal it's just movies but we seek out our other we mirror off of what we we see see, on television and film in everyday life and so if it's underrepresented as you were speaking to earlier how are we to know what what we're capable of if we don't see it in the adults that we 
are modeling it. They are our gods, for lack of a better right, word, because right. we're little, right? And every everything is giant. You know, <laughs> exactly. everything you're in the land of giants. Right. And that's know? when you know, oh, I want to be like that person, right? Because they're so cool. But if you don't see something that that looks like you, right? And that's for, for people of color, for females, for you know, and for boys and for people with disabilities. I mean, it's like you name it's across it. the board. It's across you need the, to see the transgender, representation. And like everybody. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. I guess we're just now starting to realize that. I think so. Um, I think we are not only starting to realize it, but we're starting to realize the importance. So I think before people, you know, they kind of knew, but I don't think they realized how important it was to make sure that you had enough representation. And, yeah. and, and I would say really in STEM because I think technology is what drives our world. It's what makes life better, yeah. the quality sure. across nations. Um, I mean, the internet has been great because it's actually leveled some of aspects about information. Sure. And so these yeah. are the things that drive. Now if we could just get the internet into homes that can't afford it. Right, so that, that would be, be the next, like universal access. Yeah, that'd um, be great. Yeah. yeah. Okay, back to, so robotics, AI. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in your world, they they go together. Correct. And lately in the news, there's been all sorts of things. The robot dog, for example. The but Boston Dynamics. Oh, The robot yes. dog yes. that like opened the doors and flipped everyone out because Black Mirror had that episode with yes. all the, 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 the robot dogs. Um, I find it fascinating. Here's the thing. So... There's so many questions philosophically about artificial intelligence and where it's going and what it means. So, human beings, correct? We have dominion on this planet, and some theorize it's because we use tools. Well, guess what? Other animals use, use tools, tool. right? And then you could say, oh well, um, it's because we can speak. Well, so can other animals. They just have their own language. And then some theories say it's because human beings have the capacity to come together en masse, even with strangers, and form a united front and act in a manner that is humanity, whereas animals, when they see something that is not of their circle, they freak out and maybe challenge it, unless you're a bonobo. (laughs) But but, uh, so that being said, what happens if we create sentient beings, mechanical beings, okay. right? And will they realize that if they can somehow operate en masse, will they form dominion over humans? That's one big fear, right? Right, correct. How do you how do you find that line where you teach a robot new tricks, but not so many new tricks that it usurps its god, its creator? Right. So, and, and I'm asked this quite a bit. So one of the things that I, I think we as roboticists maybe we don't really explain so one of the things is that when we're teaching these robots and we provide them the intelligence or the ability to learn Mm -hmm. they're still learning in our human world Mm -hmm. and they're learning based on my experiences which are very much based on my human experiences you the creator me the creator Um, and so if I think about um, a robot then growing up and expanding and you know becoming I always think about you know I mean it happens but how many times do kids turn on their parents it's it's very rare right well they go through the the teenage they go through the teenage years right so they argue with their parents but they're not patricidal usually they're not usually right so that's what we're saying in the in the general scheme of things you know you do have some exceptions Sure. Um, at the end of the day kids 
if they had even a halfway decent, like it's not abusive, but if you had a halfway decent relationship with your parents, right. you don't later on be like, oh, I want to annihilate my parents, right. Right? right? I still think that that's really the role of these robotics. They're learning in our human environment. Mm-hmm. They're learning our human values, whether they're good or bad. And so I think at the end, even if the robots become sentient or become smart, which is the fear, um, I still think at the end, you'll have some rogue robots maybe, mm. But I think just like our society, they're growing up in our society, mm-hmm. right? We're treating them and we're putting them in our society. We treat our fellow humans pretty crappy in some cases, though. So that's the other question. What happens if you're like, oh, I got a robot for Christmas. Hooray. And it's it's got a, you know, education robot level um, 10 or something. I don't right. know, whatever it is. Right. And it can help around the house or take care of the babies or, you know, feed the dog or mm-hmm. whatever. And what happens if it gets placed in a home? That's abusive. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm fascinated by the rights of a, what I would consider a being because it has come into existence. And to that point, when I watched the Boston Dynamic video, I watched a couple. And of course, like everyone else on the planet, when I opened the door, I went, holy crap. And both like, that's so cool. And that's so creepy. Both the thoughts entered my brain. But here's the thing that I found fascinating about myself is in one of the videos, um, they showed a human, a man being abusive, kicking right. the robot dog. And I recoiled as if he had kicked an actual dog. Correct. And I was so upset. And then I, for a second, I went, wait a minute, that's a robot. And then I thought, fascinating. It's fascinating because our empathy for something that appears alive. Mm-hmm is still being triggered. Yes. So will our disdain. So will our, do you know what I mean? Right, it, It's right. this whole, it just blew my brain apart, really. So I think, and it's true. So like abuse is abuse, whether it's abuse for an animal, and maybe you don't even like animals, right? But when you see it, it triggers something. Um, I think because the way we design robots, we're trying to emulate humans, right? So right. we're emulating this aspect of a living creature, right? And so that does trigger at, a, at an emotional reactive level. Um, and I think though, what happens is when people see abuse, there's no question, right? I mean, there is no, que- it's not like, oh, that's not it. No, 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 there's no question when you see something that's wrong, right? right? Um, now, whether something is right, I mean, that might be, but when you see something wrong, there's no question. And so I think even with the robotic systems, we can put, and this goes with this whole aspect of ensuring transparency and trust in our systems. I mean, we can put in core values that are at least based on um, what we believe as a society is right. The robot commandments. And I won't even put it as the robot commandments, but things that- I watched a video of you where you were talking about that. So please- uh, Because it's more than that. Yeah. Um, Because, yeah, the commandments- I call it commandments. You didn't. But I'm just saying that- Yeah, because they they actually- They're tenants. They're tenants. Yeah. And even the tenants, you know, sometimes- They they kind of reminded me of the commandments, though. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, they they were. That's what I was referring to. Like, we do need to have some standards. Yeah. Thou shalt not kill your- your person, you know. Right, you shouldn't. But then again, we have wars, right? Right. So if I um, create a robot soldier. Yeah, the lines start getting real fuzzy real fast. Right, but yet, even in war, we have conventions, right? So I, I think that there's, so as a society, we have created these standards of behavior that everyone understands, with exceptions, 
as well. Yeah. Um, even in war, you know, you, you don't kill civilians, right? If you're... So, supposedly. Yeah, and set, there's some... Ex- right? So, yeah. But I think everyone, and that's why when certain things happen in the news, why we as a society get so upset is because we're saying, well, this, what happened, is violating our understanding of a societal norm. Right. Our humanity. Our humanity. Yeah. Right. And so I think with robotics, um, and in fact, there's a bunch of different um, groups that are looking at this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, how do we ensure that we put in these understood societal norms and values that everyone accepts? Now, whether people follow them or not is a whole nother question. Sure. But there are there are these things that that are absolutely wrong that everyone will say that's wrong. Right. Like and people still do it, but we do know that it's wrong. And I almost believe that robots could be held more accountable because um, because the reason why people do things that are typically wrong is either their upbringing, mm-hmm. right? But, sure. But they know it's wrong. They just decide that no, Unless this is not. Unless they're socio or psychopath. Right. And robot. Can I'm, can AIs be psychopathic? I'm gonna say no. Okay. Um and I say even virally. <laughs> okay. So implants. if someone implants. So again, in that case, if there's hackers out there that can hack into this, that, and the other, could they not hack into? They could, but then for folks that you know, they're that's what medicines are for, right? That's exactly right. We hack our systems all the time. Right. So I think we can do the reverse. If someone comes in and does some viral implant that that's switches the ethical behavior, yeah, I think we just as we can also have a, a you know a solution. I mean, whatever your opinion is on medicine or not, you know yeah. we can have the equivalent solution. I think. So um, when you have somebody like um, is it Sophia? So, yes. Sophia, the citizen robot, the uh, uh, the Arab Saudi Arabia pseudo gave yes. Yeah, yes. gave gave them gave her, it, her. I mean, I don't even know it's appropriate pronoun wise, but um, gave Sophia. She simulates and emulates in the physical form a yes, female. Yes, a female. Right. And um, is she, the things that she says, I haven't done a deep dive on her, the things that she's saying, is she being manipulated to say these things or is she coming up with that through a series of zeros and ones for herself? She's or, programmed. She's programmed. She's programmed. Okay, so in your work, mm-hmm. you're developing... AI that is going to be thinking for itself it, to some degree. And I, from what I've read, we've gotten to about fourth grade, third grade, as far as like blocks and, you know, round peg, square holes type. Yeah, but not third grade in terms oh, not, of overall not, intelligence. No, not, not, not even functioning close. in society, right. but in mirroring, right? Yeah, so, when, so we're really good at um, if we have a task that has some very clearly articulated rules, mm-hmm. we're pretty good at learning the myriad of variations of that. We humans? No. AI. Uh, AI. Got it, got it. Right? So if I know that there's like an outcome, and the outcome maybe varies some, but there's like sort of one outcome, and maybe the inputs are all different, we're pretty good at, at learning that one thing. But don't change much later. I mean, right. don't take it and say, oh, well, you can pick up blocks. Well, then maybe you can now pick up dishes, right? It's not the same. Okay. Um, so yeah. that more of that generalization is what we're trying to do. Like, how do we generalize even just a little bit? And then how do we generalize even more and more? I mean, that's really where we're trying to get these systems, but we're not we're not there yet. Um, so, you know, we can do something if a third grader can do this one task very well, mm-hmm. we can we can learn that. 
but don't ask us to do things that are outside of that one task. Yeah. One of the things that fascinates me is the, um, the ability of people who have, let's say, lost mobility in their arm or something, and they've got something implanted in their brain that then all they have to do is think, and the new the robotic signal, right. arm, how does that work in yeah. layman's terms? Yes. Maybe in the layman. <laughs> no. So what happens is, the, 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 and the brain is so, and we still don't understand the uh, brain, no. right? Mm-hmm. So, but we do know that... Um, there's different parts of the brain that give signals, so like the motor cord. So there's when I want to do something, what happens is before I even physically move, there's a signal. My brain is processing, and we call it in, intent. Like I want to move, there's a signal before my my hand even gets that signal. So what they're doing is they're tapping into that electronic signal. So there's an electrical signal that comes, that then says, okay, this is the mm. command to move, command to move. So they're tapping into that to then command the robot to move. So crazy. Um, so yeah, and there's different ways. So there's one that's based on the brain, and then there's others that's based on muscles. So they actually look at the muscle contraction, which is one level removed from the brain function. Mm-hmm. So um, before you move your arm, there's a, there's some muscles that are about to contract and enable, to enable that to happen. Right. Can we grab that to then, because my hand now won't, no longer is there, my physical hand, right. I have a robot hand, can we take that same signal and transform it to the signal for the robot? And what's wild is that the brain acts in such a way that, in fact, that robot arm will eventually feel like your own arm. The brain will adapt. Yeah, well, they say um, in a lot of cases um, in, uh, in the healthcare medical that um, they call it the phantom. Yeah, it's a phantom. phantom exp- yeah, that's right. Right. Like, right. you don't even have to have a robot arm to actually... It can be done with mirrors. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so so that sensation is just tapping into the natural inclination so of the way that our memory and the information is already stored. There's a great video of that. I'll put it on my Hey Human podcast link page because it's really cool to see with the, the person with the mirror. and the, mm-hmm. it's It's so crazy. I love it. Um... Okay, I'm gonna. I have notes because there's so. I just have so many questions. Or, first of all, let's talk about sex robots. Okay, because <laughs> you know that's certainly on people's minds. And again, that's that other question of what is morally or ethically okay if these AIs are being developed to be sexual counterparts to a person, and they don't get a say so. <laughs> They're just being created. That's again that fuzzy line, but it's a machine. But I reacted when the dog got kicked. You know what I mean? It's where where are these lines crossed? And then I think I wouldn't mind a robot boyfriend. You know, I right. mean, he sounds pretty perfect. So again, this is the this is a scenario, and and that debate has um, there are yes. some who are like absolutely not because of the fact that we consent is consent, right? And if you don't give even a robot, but something that we think of living, the ability to consent, then we put people in jail for that, right? right? So why... It's very gray. Right. And so I, I think right now, um, my feeling is that uh, it's not going to be ordained as something that is... Um, acceptable mm. but yet we also know that, mm-hmm. that the practice happens right sure. so sure. the practice is going to happen but yeah. i don't think as a society we are and this is just based on kind of the conversation i don't think as a society we're going to say it's okay to xyz right. but we all know 
Unless you have the AI saying, yeah, I'm down. I mean, what in if terms of consent, right? In terms of consent. Right, right. So how, if you're you, Dr. Howard, you're training these AIs to learn right. via mirroring, how, how are you getting it to the point where it, it is beginning to think for itself? From my understanding with computers, and maybe it's just in science fiction, which I adore as well, in that it learns upon itself. Right. So how do you get it to that? To that level, it's so we're not there yet. Mm-mm. But um, so if you think about how, and I always use kids because kids, if you think about, they're born, they have basic reactive functions, emotions, but they don't. I mean, they don't even walk, right? So right, we have to keep them. Alive. We have to keep them alive, right? And so if you look at a child from an infant and how they grow and learn, um, so some of the things if you think about how these building blocks happen, a lot of time is based on survival, right? A child cries because they know they are dependent and they very soon realize that if I cry, the ones that I'm dependent on will react, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And they will continue to their five years old crying if they have parents that react in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think even in that case, I think that um, these robots will have goals and we provide them these building blocks and how if you think about how a real learning algorithm could kind of evolve is you have a goal so the one thing is the goal is provided by who we don't know right but then you have a goal we provide you building blocks and we know that these building blocks could eventually lead you to this goal mm-hmm. but we don't let you we don't tell you and we let the environment teach you mm-hmm. right so you as a robot you explore and you, you come to something and you get a positive feedback. So, you know, maybe it's energy, power, you know. I figured out that if I move to that thing in the corner and I plug myself in, oh, I get power and I can continue doing this, right? So eventually power, energy is good, which so is like food. is that response an actual response or is it, do you know what I mean? Like, is it a, I plug in and get more power, which I need, or am I actually excited about the fact that I'm getting more power? Well, so that's the thing. Because little babies get excited. They get excited. They laugh and they cry. And they... they have an emotion. So that's a reactive emotion. Um, but why? And I program emotions on my robots, right? Sure. Um, and I actually do it because of people, not necessarily because of the robot. Because people... Want that. People want they that. They need that. They need that yeah. kind of as a feedback. So a person yeah. is more likely to want to teach a robot if the robot is providing them emotional feedback. Yeah. Um, so my, it's like that terry cloth monkey versus the wire mesh monkey. Yes, yes. In the seventies, yeah. Different reaction, right? Different reaction well. because of us. Yeah. Um, and so, I think that how you, so I get happy versus I get energy to continue my job. I think fundamentally they're the same thing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They achieve the same objective, and we will call it in a human we call it happy right but as an example when baby well i want to say when kids eat candy mm-hmm. it's a good thing right they mm-hmm. get really happy they see candy it's like oh yeah right well if you think about it what is it no 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 so what happens is with candy because of the sugar you take it and there's actually this reaction in your body. Right, the brain goes, zing! Exactly. Yeah. So you being happy is just an anticipation of feeling that zing. It's Pavlovian. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't heard that word in like, except in the dictionary. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> 
But isn't that what that is? It is. Oh. I'm just like, oh, I've not actually heard that like verbally spoken. Um, I'm actually 4,000 years old. <laughs> um, so yeah, so for a robot, what's, what's, I can program the emotions or I don't, but it's the same objective just like with a child. So why not program AIs the way an animal learns instead because we are the we are maybe the only species that takes freaking forever to get out of the nest right it, <laughs> right it takes forever until we can take care of ourselves until we can walk until we can you know function as a, a, you know you throw a little kid in the woods it dies you throw a baby giraffe in the, it, you know, it, it, and it has lives. a high light yeah right. so why are why why do we start way up there if we are have they already tried to teach AIs the way animals learn yeah so there are AIs so there are robot dogs for yes, example like the one that like the, like the one you're talking about yeah. but even um, so Probably Sony came up with this is a long they're releasing it now so Sony Ivo which is oh I don't know 10 years the very first version probably about 10 years ago um, it was a evolving animal that it would evolve based on its interactions with you and so your ibo might be slightly different than my ibo because of the interaction so if you were a very loving person um your ibo might be more lively and then just kind of yeah, paraphrasing yeah, sure um so that was early versions of, of i never even heard of this i meant to go look that yeah ibo so they released it they are about to release it this year. They announced it, so I don't know if you can buy it now. So they're releasing it with new, updated versions. So I have no idea, because then it was actually pretty advanced um, in terms of what was available. Sure. So I have no idea what it's going to be like now. I need to like renew now. my wired subscription. Oh, yeah, it would have, I'm sure. It, it would have been, been in, in there. there. I'm sure. I would have that magazine forever, I'm and sure. I loved it. It's one of the few magazines I'd read cover to cover. Because so it always has so, and they're so like, they're like such nice snippets. I mean, you yeah, know, it perfect. wasn't like like five pages of no. stuff. It was you like you could consume it. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. It's funny you brought the bionic woman because this is one of the things I talked about. Human beings, we we get plastic surgery. So right. here's the thing. Here's a, a lot of the rhetoric is, oh my God, no, it's Terminator. We're all gonna die. We, you know, and then. I think about things like the science of, as we spoke of, the nano bloodstream robots that go check things out and see mm -hmm. what's what and maybe eventually will at some point replace we'll heal. valves right. and heal and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we are already a society that uses science to improve our, you know, our breasts or our lips or our eyes or, you know, our butts or, you know, whatever it is, or even pacemakers or right which is extending know, our life right any of that stuff so we already are kind of in that realm mm -hmm. in fact probably more than kind of we are in that realm so is there a six million dollar man and a bionic woman in the future do you think it's gonna go in that direction this is conjecture but i, Im I imagine that eventually the Olympics will look like a bunch of robots, you know, robot legs or something, you know, I don't know. Yeah, um, so I think so. And why I say that, um, so one, it's not an elective surgery right now, right? So when people have bionic parts, it's typically... Because they have to. Because they have to, right? It's but not people elective. freak out about getting implants to open doors and things, so those, that company in Sweden. Yeah, um, right. Which I thought was fascinating because they don't freak out to get the... No, they don't. They don't. Um, and, and I think it's because, 
And, and so what I'm saying is that's why this is going to happen, mm-hmm. right? I think it's just our acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, because right now that implants and even the fingers, I've seen the fingers. Um, but those Oh, imp- where they can swipe at things. Yeah, because yeah. they have like RFID. But yeah. yeah. Um, so those are not, you wouldn't call them necessarily as invasive. So they require some surgery, but even the people who are doing the surgery, they're, you know. Right. It's not a major surgery. I mean, you could have infection, but you're not going to. It's not a major surgery, right? Um, but no big organs. Are no right. big organs. Right. But our when we do these like kind of bionics, that's actually considered close to being a major surgery if we're connecting them to say nerves, right? right? So that's like major surgery. There's always complications, so the risk is you know high. But if you want something, then the risk kind of outweighs. The... And you're talking about the people that already do robotic. Arms yes, who have the robotic sure. arms. And so think of this now that when that becomes a little more um, streamlined, Mm. i.e. it doesn't become like a major complicated surgery, Mm -hmm. maybe it becomes this like adapter and we can figure out how to do non-invasive control of robotic, like these kind of things, Mm -hmm. then it becomes a, well now I have to maybe hack off my arm or leg, which is not necessarily acceptable now. Other people do it. People do it. Body dysmorphia, there are some people that are like, this is not my leg, take it off. Right. And there are some doctors that will. And they will because it's, it's an adult and, yeah. and they can do this. Yeah. Um, but And I think it becomes more and more acceptable. Right. More and more acceptable. I mean, I just remember back in the day, uh, ear piercing. Remember? So if you I had do. my dad wouldn't let me pierce my ears till I was fifteen. That was like not done no. unless you were like basically of age of consent. Right. And two ears. Oh my gosh, you were like Oh, when my brother got his ears pierced, my dad like totally freaked out. Like probably disowned him for like two weeks. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. So I mean and now it's just, you know, it's basically just don't wear your earrings if you have like five of them to a job interview. Right. Right? But once you get the but job But even now, it's I think that tattoos are more acceptable. I, I think so. So, and that's there's a saying. lizard guy that split his tongue and that's you know, it's becomes I mean, more that's intense but yeah yeah there's penis flailing i mean there's all just of, weird yeah stuff. there's stuff but every, everybody's got a thing and so i i think that's the norm start changing and shifting yeah i foresee a future where that is not unheard of especially things like <clears throat> excuse me vision we get lasik now so why wouldn't, if it's possible, the optic nerve is complicated. Let's just say it's possible. Why wouldn't you want robot eyes? Yeah. Of course you would. If, if the positives outweigh the complications. Absolutely. Because right. back in the day, they used diamond cutters to cut your eye for what was the radiokeratotomy. And now it's, now it's, it's like 10 minutes. Right. And there's and Groupons. And you're done. And, and you're, I know. It's a Groupon. I know. Like, I look I at know. Thinking, I don't no, know. No, I remember. I remember when that was first done. It came out. That was considered... A complication, right? Because it was like you only do, you just do one eye because it, it, you might be blinded in that one eye, mm-hmm. right? That was like mm-hmm. it was a fear. There was a risk, yeah. and now, and in fact, if you have certain characteristics, insurance pays for it, right? Right. Whereas before, it was like it was you couldn't even get insurance. That was like insurance, no, because it's too risk. And mm-hmm. if any complications happen insurance wouldn't cover anything after yeah it'll be interesting to see i don't know if in, if our, in our lifetime but to see what is coming down the down the way um i'm fascinated by it it makes you want to live forever you know it does i mean well, when <laughs> you, you do transplant it brains. yeah right when, 
I like to keep the brain I have, only just, you know, keep it running. I always say it to my parents, you know, they're used to me being weird. And I always say to my dad, I'm like, okay, when you die, I'm just going to put you in a jar and talk to you like, like you're nothing. He <laughs> said, that sounds interesting. I said, they'll be able to do that. I'm sure of it. <laughs> um, okay. So can human memories be entered into an artificial intelligence so that they have a response um, that is the way we might respond to fear or hunger or whatever. So we kind of talked about it a little bit. This is actually a hu- like a, a, an actual memory being implanted into. And then does that mean we become immortal at some point? Because before we die, we sign the paper, we pay the $10,000, sort of like the cryogenic Walt Disney, and mm-hmm. say, I want all of my existence put into this AI, and that becomes me. Right. And then what? Then yeah, eventually so we... And, and so for this one, I, I, I really, we don't understand the brain. Right. We don't even, like, there are some theories of where memory exists, like in the brain. Mm-hmm. But I, if we carve that out, it doesn't give us what we need, no, right? No, because memories are just memories of memories. It's not even a real thing. Right. They're all illusionary. We don't, since we don't understand that, it's hard to even figure out how to extract the data. Mm. So, mm-hmm. so with that caveat, if we knew how to extract memories as you know bits and bytes, mm-hmm. then I can see us being able to trans. I mean, because it's bits and bytes. But I think for that is, I don't know if we'll ever be able to get to the point of extracting those kind of memories. Now, the best that we might can do is where like a um, camcorder, like mm-hmm. we're born and we wear like wearables and sensors that collects all the data that our senses Ugh. have. Black mirror. Yes, right? <laughs> yeah. That's the closest we could do it. So then maybe we can reconstruct mm. and learn based on, because now we have all the data that was provided to us that we learned from. Right. Or what about bringing grandma in to talk to the AI and telling, you know what I mean? Telling all the stories to AI, will it then? Because I think there's something about, so us as human beings, the way we learn incorporates our senses, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We see the way we get feedback, voice, and you know, at some point, like even how babies, it always fascinates me. So babies don't understand, I'm not even gonna say that. So they haven't grasped our the vocabulary, right? Right. But they understand, right? So sure, you can it's have tone it's tone, right? Yeah. So all those things allow a child to learn. Grandma telling a story, you're not going to get that same kind of learning experience. Sure. Although, don't AIs watch your face and adjust to that? They do, but so but grandma telling the story is not the same as me experiencing ah, the I story. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, it's fascinating. But grandma telling the story, we can learn stuff because that's how, you know, morals come about. Like, and that's how some aspects of what to do. So think about a lot of times, like why, um, you know, kids might still talk to their moms even though they're 40, right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I'm having a problem. I need some advice, right? Mm -hmm. And and mom or grandma might tell, give advice through Mm -hmm. a story, Mm -hmm. not, not, may not say oh this is what you should do but right. says hey i remember when i was a little girl yeah right the Bec- oral tradition the is oral strong. tradition yeah. is still strong so i think that is a component of learning yeah but it's not the only one old habits die hard we are at the very root of us the very beginning of us mm-hmm. right yes i mean that's, that's where just, that oral history comes yeah from. which i love um okay i don't want to take up too much more of your time this is so i could talk to you for days um we are developing machines that will eventually completely take over certain jobs right we already have done that automotive you know in cars uh, and all right. that kind of stuff 
And now we have, um, they're starting to do the self-driving car. And do you think there will be um, a human uh, backlash when suddenly all of our bus drivers are, or, you know, are just self-driving buses? Or do, uh, where does that figure in? Do you guys think about that stuff? We as- do. Um, so there's like there's two facts. Uh, one is that um, robots will take over certain jobs. Mm-hmm. We know that based on history. It's technology. It's not just robots. It's technology. Technology, yeah. Right? And yeah. robots is now the next technology. But the fact also is is that new jobs will be created um, because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, if you look at history, that's also been the case. Anytime something has happened, new jobs came up. Some of it was service types of jobs because now people have more disposable income or they have more time mm-hmm. or they're not in the fields, you know, and so now they're in the home. And what do you do when you're in the home? Sure. You know, so there the will call be new for jobs. computer programming and engineering, all that stuff is huge. That now. will be increased. Um, yeah. And there's jobs. Um, and so we and, and the econom- economics, economists have stated that. Um, there are jobs that will come up in the next 20 years that we have no clue about. We haven't even thought them up we yet. We haven't thought about them yet yeah. because these things will happen. You know, it might be the, I would say, you know, who's the mechanic that services our robot bus drivers, right? It's not going to be a mechanic. It's going to be some hybrid, hands-on programmer slash, we don't know. Like, what does that look like? Yeah. Um, you know, what happens when there's a, a game that goes on. Who's going to manage the fact that the buses are on a route, right? Yeah. And now you have a game, and it's like, okay, there has to be some kind of... But can a computer not figure that out? Except that these things are... For example, with a computer, some things are going to happen so rarely that it may not be worth investing in a whole new computer programmer to our computer mm-hmm. AI mm-hmm. because it only happens like, you know, how many times is Atlanta going to go to the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. It's not going to be once every year yeah, sure. or once every month. It's going right. to be, and so when that thing happens, it's like, you know, there should be a person that's called the, you know, the mediator because these are going to be different things. Like right. things are going to happen that are just so outside the norm, but they're going to happen all the time, mm-hmm. but they're going to happen in all these different Domains that we may not can necessarily learn from them, um, and I'm just I'm just kind of yeah, it's conjecture. It's yeah. all we can do really. Yeah. That's I mean. but there will fact is is that there will be jobs that will occur that will be created that don't exist now, guaranteed. Yes, and then eventually there'll probably be artificial intelligent beings that are taking care of the higher intelligence, you know, and then they'll become their own. They'll be their own strata. There, as yeah. there are for hum- It's so fascinating to chew on philosophically, and emotionally, um, scientifically. It's, it's. I can understand why anyone would be drawn to this field. It's just. It's got to be every day. You must be just out of your mind excited. It's exciting, and one of the things is that it's such a humanistic kind of thing. Like even though we're creating new technologies, and you think about it as like, oh, you're creating technology to destroy the world, or you're creating. T-, it's like. But the things that we as roboticists, we think about all the time is we think about these things like, you know, because we do need people. The reason why we do this is to enhance quality of life. And if you don't have lives, then why are we doing this? And so we are always thinking about, you know, what is the return on this? Is this worth the risks? You know, are the benefits, because there's great, great benefits, but there might be potentially risk. And so anything we do, we think about 
the risks as well. And Occasionally, a plane falls out of the sky. It right. doesn't happen very often. But it's it does. It's still the safest mode of transportation. Right. certainly beats cars. And yet... And we don't say, oh, no, no planes ever are going to ever fly. Yeah. I, I may email you every once in a while with questions. Yes, yes. <laughs> I actually like this topic because, again, I, I live this now every day. And um, one of the... Po- I'm, like I said, I'm cool now. You know, before... You these, were always cool. I, I was them. always cool. No one... Yeah, but robotics was still so... Like, people didn't see robots as being in their lives. Yeah. And now they are. And so it's, one, is really rewarding because it's like, you know, 1991, right? And now I'm like, oh, and now people can see what a 1991 robot, like, what it evolved to. Um, And so it's nice being, like, on the forefront of this. But there's also a great responsibility because we are on the forefront of this. And so um, it's exciting. It's interesting. Uh, but there is a great sense of responsibility that we we do feel as roboticists. Yeah, the future is bold and wonderful and exciting, and I'm so happy to meet you. No, this is fun. Thank this you. Was definitely Thank fun. You Thank you for, you for inviting. Yeah. Bye, everybody.